1: it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. A production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It.
3: Cut to it. Cut to it. Let's get down to it. Cut to it.
2: We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks.
3: Let's cut to it. Cause you know it's on.
2: If you
3: ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. Cause you know it's on.
2: It's on. In the chair and folded
1: your
2: arms. Unfold your arms. That random
3: pre-show banner right now. It was. Hey, what's up? Another episode of Cut to It podcast. Super excited.
2: All right. I'll, no, I'm new, not.
3: New fake new, new, ac- <laughs> new accent. It was what's fake going juice. on? What's on your mind? What is? What's on your mental?
2: Uh, my today? mental. I uh, had a had a great weekend. Would you like to know what I did? I would. What did I, you do? Nothing. I literally did nothing. Those no, the best ones. I, I didn't do anything. Woke up. On Monday, mm-hmm. and was like, "Huh."
3: It's always a good thing you wake up. That, that hey, yeah. Let's be real.
2: Yeah, but if you if you don't wake up, do you technically complain?
3: I don't know. I ain't never but experienced that. I just <laughs> throw it out there.
2: So I woke up on Monday. Uh, my son Boston is uh, starting to drive, okay. and so he's driving us to to school. So he's doing a really good job. Permit. Yeah, he got a per- he got his permit uh, legal, and he has to get so many hours. Yeah. Um, I have not allowed him to drive at night. I'm not there yet. Yeah, um, he Baby drove. Stems. Yeah, he drove in the rain the other day and did pretty good. Now, I, I kind of nudged him like, "Hey, slow down." Mm. I, said, I said, "Hey, slow down little bitch, It's raining." That's what I said in my mind. If someone had a heart rate monitor on there, yeah. that thing was like 300. <laughs> I was
4: scared. <laughs> I
2: was so scared. But um, and just kind of sitting around, and I was thinking about something, and so I read something in, in, in a in the Bible app, and it had three things, okay. right? And, and it was really interesting because it's called understanding your limitations. Mm. It gave us three things, and the first one was acknowledging your limitations. Okay, laying down your expectations, and the final one, three is. Picking up God's declarations. okay, And really, in and, and the last one, it says spend at least five minutes pouring over God's promise. Imagine uh, putting them on like clothing, asking God to show you which one he which one he wants you to focus on that day. Some days it seems like God has a lot to say and other days it makes you feel like God is quiet. Both are normal, natural things. In in a healthy relationship. And what I thought that was interesting is I I, kind of divulge in my own. I, I'm a believer. Mm -hmm. I love the Lord. As am I. I struggle with my heavenly father because I struggle with my earthly father. Mm -hmm. And what do I do with that? How do I manage those expectations or manage the lack of? Uh, follow up or follow through, or me guarding my heart because of what has tra- transpired or what's happened, and it's not anything to put down on my dad. It's just really more of saying that Steve Smith, Senior, forty-one years old, four kids, wonderful wife, uh, have a great team that's work that I get to work with on the podcast, and yet still struggle sometimes. Still trying to figure out how, what, when, and where, and Laying down, you know, laying down those things, and just trying to figure out things. So it's 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 been really cool, and it's been really difficult. But I think sometimes just kind of putting myself out there and saying, "Hey, I'm struggling today." Yeah, you know, am I by myself?
3: No, I think too often times we think that success is void of struggle. It's pretty much they intertwine together, mm-hmm. right? So you can't you can't have success without struggle, and you can't struggle without some success, right? They're they to me they're one and the same. Too many people yes. think they're polar opposites. Yes, and they're and and they're not. Out of those three examples, which one do you, which one I guess caught your eye more, or which one do you gravitate towards, or which ones do you see or or are, are, are more pertinent?
2: One well, it depends sh- on the day. I could tell you one that I always struggle with, and I could substitute. Picking up God's declaration, I can substitute, I can remove God and says, and taking a compliment. Mm. I I I have been so ingrained and so programmed to the fighter's mentality, you know, fight or flight, I'm a fighter.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I ain't flighting. But not hearing and accepting compliments. I've so much thrived on negativity and in and my back against the wall that I don't really appreciate sometimes. The easy path, and it's not even an easy path. Sometimes I like, say, "Why
3: do you necessarily think it is it's well, easy?"
2: For me, it's easy. <clears throat> meaning, man, just take the compliment. Yeah, it's like no, they don't believe in me. So oh, let me. So,
3: so what does that do to you?
2: Oh, uh, it is. It, it's one of those things where I have strive for. I want to have so much perfection that I think accepting excellence is a downgrade. But I've had to settle in. Don't try to be perfect. Thrive in the excellence. Just be okay with X Strive for excellence. Mm-hmm. And but for me, in my my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm settling. Mm-hmm. But I'm not settling. I'm just so jacked up in the head that I think and try to be so perfect that I can't pick up God's declaration. Like I can't mm-hmm. go man, God loves me today, or my family loves me today, or somebody thought this was good, and so I'm going, like, I'm too busy trying to fight it. I don't even yeah. stop and <clears throat> take the compliment.
3: Right. Or you, you also can't self-label yourself. You can't say, well, even just saying, oh, I'm jacked up in the head. You're not jacked up in the head. We all have our faults, and we all have things that we need to work on. So, I mean, even even in that right there, you can't you can't lock yourself in kind of that 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 mental prison almost sometimes.
2: Oh, bro, I've been living in a mental prison for 38, 39 years. Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. I I mean, that's one of the things that I loved. I love going to Angola once a year. Angola is a prison. Louisiana State Prison. I've never been around so many men who have no opportunity of freedom on the outside, but yet yeah, have so much freedom mentally yeah. and in their heart. I didn't really recognize freedom until I went to Angola. Mm-hmm. And now for me, going to Angola,
3: yeah. that prison? You first went... Three years ago, three, four years, years, ago? years ago. Okay,
2: for me going to that prison today, that's like a vacation. It's like mm. a resort to me because it's just remarkable to see these men who've made mistakes who can never get them back, but yet they walk in so much freedom. Yeah, twenty five plus years they've been serving. Yeah, have, most
3: of them have. Most of them are doing life sentences life, because of murder or whatever. Whatever, whatever they've the case, done, yeah, yeah, armed
2: robbery. Yep, and. They walk in there, and I go see them, bro, and it's like, what up, Schmidt? Hey, how you doing? And I see them, man. They got a bigger smile on their face to see me when I first got there the second year than I ever have. And now it's like it's something I look forward to. It's yeah. something that I need.
3: And we didn't get a chance to go this year because yeah. of COVID, but one thing that I think is really cool and it's a testament to you is you got a group of guys, all, all your close friends, associates all that stuff
2: and and we leave the phones at the house yeah we ain't this ain't this ain't something to talk about and show hey look at us you know the Mm -hmm. checking it off on the goodwill box we just going man it's it bro i look forward to it and i tell you it is a it is like a men's retreat resort for me you you leave with more than
3: what you went with. Oh, it's, not, it's it. not it is not. A lot of people hear quote unquote ministry trips and they think, oh, we're gonna go help those people. You end up going and you learn way more about yourself than you, than you did
2: anything else. Yeah, I love it, man. So that's that's something that's been on my mind, man. And, and yeah, as sure. as we continue to do these, we're gonna do. Uh, I think for me, is more and more. Doing these opportunities, man. Checking in. That's it.
3: I was I was just about to say that we got to check in. We have some real funny banters. like we can yeah. have we can have jokes. Yeah. We can joke about Sunny D and and, yeah. and, and yeah. Gators and and yeah. backstage Joe tying up his Jay's too tight. But I think it's also really yeah. important that we just have these real conversations because it's almost on people's minds. Yeah, all these things have been compounded by the pandemic. And so you just have to take that time to just check in and, and, and have serious conversations about, you know what, man, this helped me, or you check me, I check you, This that's a beautiful me? thing. You're going to check me. We both check each other. I don't know about you checking nobody. Uh, <laughs> okay, you're going to do that?
2: Hey, uh, who do we have <laughs> coming up next?
3: <laughs> coming up on the Cut To It podcast, we've got Brian Mitchell, one of the best return men in NFL history, a veteran with Washington, the New York Giants, and the Philadelphia Eagles, Brian won a Super Bowl in 1995 and he works currently as a TV and radio broadcaster. Brian Mitchell on the Cut to It podcast. Hey, Brian, we appreciate you joining the Cut to It podcast. No problem, man. Hey, so our first segment that we have coming up is an icebreaker. It's called Get Iced Up. They're random questions may or may not have a follow-up i'm telling you they completely random i don't even know what this dude has up his sleeve so smith go ahead and uh, welcome brian mitchell to the to the podcast
2: b what's going on i like to say buenos dias buenos noches when it's talking <laughs> you be forgetting that <laughs> what's up man how you doing all right you ready i'm ready baby all right buckle up buttercup here we go <laughs> let's go what is your favorite hobby Actually, my favorite hobby
4: is playing golf. You know, uh, I would say that that was my favorite hobby. I would have to say riding bikes now. I've been riding bikes since April and I've gotten completely hooked on that. Mm-hmm. So golf has taken a back seat. Oh, okay. So, that so
2: biking you, a new wave. So, you do you got the biker shorts with the padding? <laughs> yeah, I do because your butt was hurt when I was riding
4: without the padding, so I had to go to that. And uh, I've done over two thousand miles since April. So, oh, humble, Brian, <laughs> humble, Brian.
3: <laughs> I just two thousand. Yeah, Brian, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get Smitty on the on the biking wave. He won't do it. I told mm-hmm. him the same thing. I've been doing the same thing. I've been taking up biking since probably about
2: oh, that's so cute, a month or two.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, same thing. You won't
2: do it though. You you're on the running way, which is cool. So, it, it. It, when you first went biking, uh-huh. did you have a real bike? Was it a beach cruiser? <laughs> Was it a BMX?
4: No, nah, I've always oh. well, I I bought a bike in 2014. Lorenzo Alexander, he uh had a oh, uh, well. yeah, Zo had a, a a charity bike ride. So I went out and purchased this bike, and I rode it then, and I didn't ride it again until this year. <laughs> <laughs> so. When I got on it, I started riding and found out a few of my uh, ex-teammates were riding, and, and we got into this little crew, and I met a lot of people riding over in Maryland, and every weekend, I definitely do it, but I do it at least four days during the week,
2: too. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. I ain't got to that little All right. So, here we go. Last book you didn't finish reading, and why?
4: I was reading all these, I started reading all these motivational books, and okay. uh, John C. Maxwell... It's a book called, no, Beyond Talent is what it's called. Okay. And uh, I just didn't finish reading it, got into some other stuff and left it, but I got to get back to it because it talks more like, you know, those people that have talent, they depend totally on that. And it tries to get you to go beyond that to where, just like you get to the league, you find out everybody has talent, but everybody doesn't work and try to work on that talent. So uh, some people are successful, some people aren't. And uh, that's the book. But I will finish it soon, I'm
2: sure. All right, so last one. If you can teleport anywhere tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you hit that teleport button, bing! Where do you go and why? I'm going to Hawaii, Hmm. hanging
4: out in Maui, because it's just, when I'm there, it's so tranquil, my favorite place. Hmm.
2: Okay, I like that. See, how was that? That wasn't too bad, huh? (laughs) That was cool. Yeah, see? That's the icebreaker. Now Now here comes the big test. Where are you from and the place that you call, what is the place you call your hometown? My hometown is Plaquemine, Louisiana. It's a
4: little small town outside of Baton Rouge. When you were growing up there, what experiences did you uh,
2: experience?
4: Well, I will be honest with you. It's, uh, the times we're dealing with now with all this racial stuff is something that I did grow up with in my hometown. But uh, my dad taught me how to be strong in it and overcome different things and not let things bother me, but to focus on the things I can control. Um, you know, I was a quarterback at my uh, school. Uh, my school was predominantly white, but I was a starting quarterback there as I went to my college and did the same thing. But my dad being a military guy taught me about hard work, believing in yourself and making sure you take care of your education and good things to follow you. You know, and I, I wasn't one that was going to back down for many people. So, you know, when you grew up with, with a military father, like I told I was telling Joe a story. We'll probably get into this later on. But my dad, five foot eight, about 175, 180 pounds. Boxed in the military for 15 years. So he basically transferred all of that that he had in him into me. Uh, I'm one of seven kids, and I basically was exactly like my dad. So I had enough inside my head and enough in my heart that I wasn't going to back down. I was going to go out and try to fight and deal with anything I had to deal with.
2: So how did growing up in your hometown impact and shape how you see the world today?
4: Well, uh, it showed me that everybody is not exactly the same way. You know, because along my uh, life, I've seen black people that I did not like being around and seen white people that I love being around and vice versa. You know what I mean? Yeah, on, right. on both of those sides. And I think it comes down to the the, the heart of a person. Yeah. And it, it It taught me that because there were people and families in that town that did things for me that was not the ordinary way of a lot of folks in my town. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you know, there were people in the neighborhoods that I always hung out in that. You have to always watch everything, because they were trying to take what you had. Mm-hmm. So as I became to be a, a, a young man and become an older man, become a, you know, a, a more seasoned man, I understand that you judge people based on who they are and what they, what they show you, not based off of what somebody else told you about them, not based off what you thought, think about somebody else. But I don't try to sit up there and say, well, this person is this because of that. No, let me see who he is to me. Because I don't know the experiences that they may have had with somebody else. Because a lot of times the experience make you deal with a person in a certain way. Mm. So you know, if a guy treated you know somebody when I was in school in college, all the time, man, I don't like that dude. I'm like, why you don't like him? They never tell you why they don't like somebody <laughs> because it's so it's something that they did wrong, and the other person didn't do anything wrong. And the person just checked them on it. So uh, by becoming a person who pays attention to things around, pays attention to my surroundings, it's taught me to become a better judge of character from my
2: people. Mm.
4: Over there, so many
2: gyms. <laughs> hey, did you expect me to be asking you all this like this? Be honest. I'll be totally
4: honest with you, yes. Because, you know, look, oh. I, I told you before I was a fan of yours, man. And the reason I say that is because, you know, people just judge it by the way that you play the game. I judge it by the way they you play the game, but also listen to the stuff you say after something happened. Mm. And I figure you were a smart dude. You see what I'm saying? And that's yeah. the whole thing about it. When you start digging into somebody, you want to find out about them, it's not the surface like John Thompson, who just passed away recently mm-hmm. told me a long time he said man don't let people judge you by sound clips of your life wow and think about that so if I, you say I, something I'm and taking it, on it right <laughs> if you fish. if you say something and somebody got that on a, a on, on, a, on a, got a little a recording of it and just always play it, people judge you based off of that clip but I they sure. don't know all the charitable things you do they don't know how hard you have to fight to get to where you are you know, and I think that's the whole thing about it. When you start paying attention to people, you can figure some things out instead of just going around, ju- judging them based off of what somebody else told you.
2: As a kid, mm-hmm. how did you f- see football? S- as a sport? As a job? As a way out? As a, I
4: saw it as a way out. You know, my, my mom and dad, I, I look, I always felt rich because of the love that I received from my family. Wow. But, I knew that my mom and dad didn't have the money to just send me to a college. So when I started playing sports, and like I said, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and I have four older brothers. So uh, I'm five and a half years younger than my brother that's next to me. So when I'm playing with my relatives, my street was one way in, one way out. All 40 homes were relatives. And they had a bunch of boys on the street. So eventually, little, little, little Keith that they called me, my name, Brian Keith Mitchell, they called me Keith. I had to start playing with the people that were older than me. And when I started realizing that I was kind of good at it, and my dad started saying, man, you might be able to get a scholarship one day. So I'm thinking, get a scholarship, I can go to the college. You know, I can get out and go do the things I want to do. So I saw it as a pl- place of having fun and being around my friends. But my ultimate goal was to get a scholarship so I could be able to go to college without my mom and dad, you know, having to worry about that.
3: I don't want to be telling of your, your age, but you're born in 1968. You're born in Louisiana. How right. has Louisiana
4: changed since you were a kid? Uh, I don't think it's changed drastically, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. I think it's very similar. Yeah, it's a southern state that's kind of lost, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think that you you find that when you, like what I was saying earlier, when you begin to deal with people on a personal level, you find out that it's not totally the way that people see the cover of it. You know, I have a bunch of friends there that are very prosperous, you know, both white and black. And uh, they try to change, and they try to make a difference. And, you know, I still love going home because the people are so much more hospitable down south than they are up north. I still love to go down there and eat the food because the food is the best that you're going to get. If you've been to south Louisiana and north Louisiana, two totally different states. Uh, you know, down south we have a little fun. Up north they're a little dry.
2: Up north Louisiana. Yeah. I, hate to, I hate to be dumb, but I'll go ahead and be – what's the difference between the north and south? Like, I've only been to – so I've been to uh, I've been to Angola. So I, yeah. I I go there once a year. Uh huh. Um, to Angola, the prison down there. Yeah. And then other than the Saints, I, I've never so really. Never
3: going, we've never gone. we never gone past New Orleans to Baton Rouge. Yes. Yeah, like, like I don't know the. Right there. I
2: don't know the difference. Yeah. So what's the difference in North Louisiana and South? Cause okay. To me, yeah. I'm like I. Right. I just thought it was Louisiana. <laughs> nah, when you're in
4: South Louisiana, it's basically more of the, you know, I think it's a combination because you can go to different little towns and areas and even New Orleans. When you're in New Orleans, you don't really think you're in, New o- in like, Louisiana. You think you're, like, in, like, a, 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 more of a Caribbean island where they have a lot of fun all the time. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's a lot more fun and festive down south. Up north, they have dry parishes. You know, <laughs> like by a county. It's counties in every state except United, except Louisiana. It's parishes in Louisiana. Gotcha. Well, the French, uh, uh, the French, I guess, uh, tut, touch that goes there. Okay. So the dry means that they don't serve alcohol. Mm. Okay, there's no such thing down south. It's served okay. everywhere, and they probably still can serve it to eighteen year olds because they changed the laws when they when they changed the law from eighteen to twenty one. They say a private clubs at 18, you can have beer and wine. They changed it back the other way. Mm-hmm. But up north, it's different. It's just totally different. Yeah, I, we call it lower Arkansas, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: where they came from. We have to take a break. And more than anything, we got to pay some bills. Mm-hmm. You got check. I love Cut To It. And I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And
3: you can follow us on social media, too, Smitty.
2: Where where at?
3: That's at CutToIt on Instagram.
2: What about Twitter? At CutToIt. Facebook?
3: CutToIt featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at CutToItPodcast.com, where you can buy merch, and you can subscribe
2: to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers. Quest- um, ah. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother.
3: Cut to CutToItPodcast.com.
0: At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy.
1: My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it.
2: i never seen a man How'd we do today? We
3: did good.
0: The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, Mike son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but...
2: Same old. Oh, yeah.
1: and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Right, right, right.
2: I'm interested to hear about your about your college experience because you said you play quarterback. Mm-hmm. Also, know you have five thousand yards passing, three thousand yards rushing. But now when we look at we look at the past and current athletes, you know, Ed Reed was a one-star recruit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We all think that every guy that plays in the National Football League or a, a, a very successful college player, oh, he had to be a baller, mm-hmm. right? He had to be highly recruited. And that's not always the case. No,
4: it's not. You know, and I think about it, like, you know, uh, my dad had a heart attack when I was in the ninth grade, had open heart surgery. So my, my mindset was to go to college, be far enough away so I can grow as an individual, be close enough to go back and check on him if I had to. Mm-hmm. So um, my college had offered me a chemical engineering scholarship prior to be ever recruiting me as a, uh, as a football player. And my, my high school coach got a job there as a receivers coach. And he was like, look, they're going to run the offense that you're very good at. They really want you. I said, well, why, that, why, that, why haven't they uh, recruited me? So when they came along to recruit me, I ended up uh, signing there because Nelson Stokely was a coach at Clemson when they won the national championship in 1981, I think it was. So we were running the run and shoot, uh, single back, two slots, two wide out. So we ran the option and we ran a wide open offense. And that's what I did in high school. So I ended up going there because I was far enough away from home. They showed me that love as a, uh, you know, a student prior to just being an athlete. And I still can, uh, be, I can get home if I need to go there. And as my as a freshman, uh, I ended up getting a chance to start midway through the season and the rest is history. They allowed me to play. And uh, I met some of my best friends there. And, you know, but the thing of it, I was highly recruited as a quarterback, but I didn't want to go to a school that was going to just let me only run the football. I wanted somebody to give me a chance to throw it and run it. And, you know, I chose that school and hell, the league still found me. I got 14 years out of that. I guess it's a success.
2: We always hear these stories about a player, well I, he picked up playing sports or picked up playing football um, his junior year, right? Mm-hmm. He he was on the band team. He <laughs> uh-huh. was he he was he was playing the clarinet somebody saw him uh, during PE and he slammed a the basketball. They saw how athletic yeah. he was. Why don't we ever hear about quarterbacks? Well, he play, he started playing quarterback his junior year, senior in year high school, and have a success from there. I, I I've never really we've never heard Man, that, that don't story. Really exist. We've heard running backs who, you know, never played or was on the band. That's mm-hmm. Mike Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've heard other people. The kid, uh, Clay Chaseborn, or, or or so he played at Notre Dame. He's from Canada. Mm-hmm. He's playing tight end slash wide receivers yeah. currently for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he didn't play football, right, or defensive end. Yeah, I was going to say there's a few defensive
3: ends that hadn't played. Hadn't played.
2: You know, um, heck, I of the best tight ends in the game back in the day, Antonio Gates. Yeah. He he was a basketballer. Yeah. Right. Why can't that happen for a quarterback? I think the
4: quarterbacks, the mindset of a quarterback, that it has to be a little different because you – you're not just thinking your position. You're thinking every position. You need to know the game a little bit longer and a little better. So I started playing quarterback in the eighth grade and mm-hmm. played it all the way through college. But I played from, what, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. I played other positions prior to that. And then when I got into the league, I played quarterback and other I – played, I played quarterback in a few games because guys got hurt and I had to finish the game. But I played every position but quarterback. But I just think that the, the quarterback, the guys that play that is normally – many people – know. when I was young, you put the best athlete at quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't that you were – you could pass the ball better, but you know, in, in junior high and high school, you ran the football for the most part. Yeah. But when they saw a guy that had a great arm, they wanted him to play quarterback, and you end up sticking to that. And mm-hmm. I think now you see young kids, if they can play quarterback and they see how much money the quarterback's getting – Hell, you better stay at quarterback. $500 million? Yes. <laughs> it's like you
3: get groomed earlier at quarterback yeah. now.
4: Oh. Yeah. Because, hmm. like, what you call him, I think, uh, uh, was it, Kyler Murray. Yeah. This kid been playing quarterback forever, and that's all he knows. Yeah. And many people didn't think a guy of his stature would ever be a quarterback in the league. Hell, he's doing good at it. Doing
2: pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. So let's jump down to – so you transition. Five thousand yards passing, three thousand yards rushing. You never caught a punt return. You never did kickoff in college. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. Coming out of college, what did they and I and I used they? What did they tell you the position you would play, uh, go, going through the combine and going and potentially going in the NFL draft?
4: I was drafted. Well, they told me they were going to draft me as an athlete, and uh, they had to figure out what position I could play. I told them I would love to, have, whatever position I play, I wanted to have the ball in my hand, but if I had to try and play defense, I'll do that. I was offered a contract to go to Canada and play quarterback, but my dream has never been to play in Canada. My dream was to be in the NFL. And I just felt if I got an opportunity to play any position, I, I had a chance to make it because people ask me what I considered myself. I always said a football player, mm. you know, because. When I first started playing football, I played DN and linebacker. Uh, the coach had me at center prior to moving me to running back <laughs> in the seventh grade. And then when I got to the eighth grade, they moved me to quarterback. So, you know, I just uh, love having the football. Uh, when, when I would throw an interception, i tried to make the tackle so I didn't have a problem hitting people. But I, I didn't want to play in Canada. I felt that i go to Canada, nobody going to ever hear from me again. i stay in the league and find a way to make it, I'll still be known here in the States where the the big league is. I call it the National Football League.
2: Going back to the 1990 draft, you were drafted. You go to the now Washington football team. Mm -hmm. You got the first practice. Yes. Where do you line up? They
4: put me with running backs and the return men and every special teams team you can name. And I was also told by Coach Gibbs, learn the offense because you're our emergency quarterback. Russ Grimm is no longer going to be it. So Russ Grimm, the offensive lineman, was the emergency quarterback. Russ Grimm? <laughs> yes. He played quarterback in high school, I think it was. And then when he got to college, he, he started gaining weight They moved to the offensive line. So he was the emergency quarterback on that team till I got there.
2: Well, I'm going a, I'm, to I'm a go down the rosters. Oh. On 1990, they had – Mark Ripkin. Yep. Then it has Stan Humphries. Humphries. Mhm. Who was the third guy? Jeff Rulich. Mm. How was Jeff?
4: Uh
2: I-, I felt
4: that I had a better <laughs> <one>. <laughs> oh uh, I felt man. I had a better
3: arm you than he us did. You give the real answer, bro. I <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, uh, he still got to see Jeff. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, I-, I felt I had a better arm. I used to always tell him, I said, man, if you playing in the league, I damn sure can play in the <laughs> league. You know, because Jeff had been around for, what, 10 years, 10, 11 years, had like 3,000 yards passing. I'm like, hell, pff, I can do that. <laughs> I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> All
4: right, man. I, I, I was just curious. That year, we yep. played a game. The game is known as the body bag game. Ooh, do tech. Redskins <laughs> against the Eagles. Hmm. And the Eagles end up hurting like eight or nine people. And of that eight or nine, I was backing up four of those people. <laughs> <laughs> Both quarterbacks got hurt. Both punt returners got hurt. So I had to play punt return and I ended, up, I ended the game in quarterback. We had one touchdown drive in that game. Guess who was the quarterback? Jeff? No, Brian. Okay. <laughs> So, you know, it, it, although I didn't get a chance to play it for a long time, mm-hmm. just that moment showed me, well, damn it, now, what, if he can do it, I can do it. What were your numbers? Do you remember that? I think I finished uh, four of six or something like that for 50 some yards. I had –
3: Three for five uh, for 40 yards passing.
4: Three for five, 40-something yards passing. I went into the – and I had a touchdown rush because Ricky Sanders went out of bounds on the half-yard line. So, I just – quarterback seek that thing in the next one, so – <laughs> we had a running play on, but in college, whenever you were there, if they left a spot, you just sneak it in, and that's what I did.
2: Yeah, And that's amazing, that kind of versatility. It's crazy. Let's talk TV. Hmm. Okay. What has been your biggest on-air mistake? On TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking,
4: we talking TV. On TV, my biggest on-air mistake? Mm-hmm. Basically, forgetting I'm on camera. And and you know, when you're on camera you gotta keep that, that look. <laughs> I I didn't keep that look. I was basically giving a guy like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about look. Hmm. And they were in my ear saying, You're on camera, you're on camera. And uh, you know, I I I, I, I would I would have thought it would be me cursing because I normally could let things just fly. I
2: know but you.
4: I've been I've been I've been <laughs> I've been very good at that because I know that, you know, the company gets fine, if they get fine enough you'll be gone. So I kind
3: of appreciate that. <laughs> that. Write that down, Smitty. You might want to that,
2: I wrote that information
3: down. back pocket. Hey,
2: companies get fired, huh? right? Well, if you want to, you want to get fired and stick it to a company. go.
3: <laughs> but yours was yours was more or less a face. It wasn't anything that you said.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a
3: face.
2: What What advice would you give me, um, being on TV? Because you're a veteran.
4: Uh, I would tell you, like James Brown told me, continue being who you are because the way that you are and the straightforwardness is, is, what, is, is what people really want to hear from you. But I would say this, like, make sure you just do your research and stay on top of everything. And if you want to improve your, your knowledge of the actual ins and outs of the TV industry, you know, you have time, take the time to do it, but don't ever change who you are. You know, cause I watch people get on camera and they become somebody else. And I'm like, what the hell are you playing? A character or something? Yeah. You know, it's like, they're talking to you and as soon as the camera comes on, like they their voice changed, they stand straight. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, and, and I, I just never wanted to be that person because if you hire me because of my opinions, then you're gonna get my opinions. So I have met, had a lot of my contracts say that they hired me for my opinions, not theirs.
2: Let's talk ball. okay. Right, playing in the NFC East, you were in an era where uh, there was a lot of professional dislike. You had to Wash at the time, Washington Football Team, the Dallas Cowboys, the Eagles, and the Giants. Mm-hmm. What was that experience? Because watching it, man, you guys hated each other.
4: It was the Black and Blue Division, we called it, because if you played in a if you played in the NFC East and you came out on top you basically were to be somewhere around the Super Bowl that year. And we all knew that. So uh, I know people look at games this year, and there's normally two teams in the division that are rivalries. But, hell, we had a rivalry with everybody that was in our, in, in the division. You know, and then I played on three of the different teams. So when I go to Philly, I find out that they dislike Washington and Dallas and New York just like we did here in Washington. And then mm-hmm. I go to New York, and it's the exact same thing. But, you know, it, it, the thing about it, all of the teams were good. You know when you're battling people and and they knock you out the playoffs, or you're battling them to go to like the conference championship and you lose that game, that's a lot of dislike. But when you're just horrible and you lose to a team, what what, what you gonna dislike? You know. And I think as I look at it, you look at the names, the Reggie Whites, uh, Lawrence Taylors, you know, uh, all Emmett and Troy and 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 uh, uh, Michael over in Dallas at the time, it, it was just so many top notch athletes and all the teams were good and you're battling to go to the Super Bowl, in essence. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't dislike the person who's going to take money off of your uh, audio, audio pocket and take food off your table, then something is wrong with you. And when I got to Washington, it was instant. They made sure you did not like Dallas first, and then the Giants and the Eagles followed right behind very closely.
3: Program you right out the
2: gate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah.
4: Oh, yes. And, look, I, I came from Louisiana, Steve, trying to wear some sleeves, you know, and Monty Coleman, Walked up and took some scissors and just cut my sleeves and say, we don't do sleeves here because wow. you look like you're soft.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, bro, what do you think about the current NFL player today?
4: Well, I think that they are given too many damn options. <laughs> Tell me how you read you know? I think it's just like kids today. Okay, when I was growing up, wasn't no damn 1-800 number. Wasn't <laughs> no 911. You got your butt whip, you got your butt whip. You learn from your mistakes. Today, and then all of a sudden when I got a little, I started getting older, I started saying, you got a what? You could call somebody on your daddy and you're still <laughs> living? <laughs> you know, then you look at the NFL now. They give them too many options. You know, we, 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 we had 2 days in full gear, you know, and, and I also saw a lot less injuries back then. Yeah. We had, some days we had 3 days okay? Now I look at these guys, they rarely practice and then they still complain. Yeah. So they're given too many options, and we all know if you got kids, if you tell your kids this is what you're going to do, they're going to do that. They'll learn how to deal with it. Some kids, <laughs> right,
2: There's a lot of parents out there they think it's a, they think it's a democracy. Yeah, yeah.
4: No,
2: some uh-uh. some parents some no parents I, really I, believe, I, I agree. Some you. parents really believe in what Let me get your input.
4: Yes. No, no, no. I, I, I have I have a 31 year old son. 26, 20, and 18-year-old daughters. I love them all to death. But they understand, you know, we're not going to sit up here and and be a tyrant to you, but what mommy and I say goes. Mm -hmm. If you want to make, like, my dad used to, my my dad told my oldest brother, that's when I learned real quickly. My oldest brother came in the house one time talking about what he was. He cocked strong and all this. My dad said, boy, don't curse in front of my wife. He said, Dad, I just said cock. He said, yeah, cock is a... You know, even though it is, he said, like, You're cursing in front of my wife. So he said, Well, if you think you can uh, beat my ass, you, you, you make the rules. So he gave my brother the boxing gloves. My brother put them on. He said, Mistake. And I told y'all earlier, my dad boxed in the military. He beat the hell out of my brother. <laughs> he, whooped it. he beat the hell out of my brother. So I go to college. I come back, you know, 18 years old, been in a summer program. I am yoked. He threw me the gloves. <laughs> he threw me the gloves, I slapped the masses on the ground. You know? But <laughs> like, no, nah, I'm not putting on those gloves because he also was a marksman in the military. So I'm not oh, stupid. Nah. So, nah.
2: so hold on, though. He,
3: so he, I, he can't believe your brother tried to run up on your daddy like that. Yeah, <laughs> I, my,
4: my brother was the baddest dude I knew till that day. Yeah, He ruined it until then, <end, laughs> the Did your daddy work? Was it quick or was it meth- Oh, dude, look, I'm going to see if you Did you watch the Felix Trinidad, Benoit Hopkins fight? Mm -hmm. Uh, It watched me. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you this. Go watch that fight. Every time Felix got ready to throw a punch, he went on the balls of his feet. And Benoit would jab him or hit him with something. Mm -hmm. So my dad said my brother was doing something similar. So every time my brother got ready to throw, he would jab him up and then bang, bang, bang. And he told my mom, he said, I had to show your son that he wasn't the baddest in his house. Mm -hmm. And nobody else tried it. And we had four more boys after Blanche, and we never had another boy try him, (laughs) never. As as what we say, damn shame what he did to Blanche. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But I tell you, I paid attention. I knew, I knew what mistakes to, uh, knew what things to do and what things not to do. And it was not to put on no gloves and box that dude.
2: How were you able to play as long as you played? Because you played a lot of positions. First of all, let me go ahead and take this because I, I'm, I, I'm remiss if I don't say this. You were a plumber. And what I mean by plumber is this. We don't really resp- respect plumbers. We don't respect electricians. Till, especially with a plumber, till your toilet get clogged up. There you go. And you, you knee-high is some them. shit. Right. You need them. <laughs> and you need them. And then that's what we – especially in what we're in right now, they're called essential workers. When we need someone, we 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 just can't call somebody up. We need a specialist. Yeah. And you were that specialist. You did everything. You, you played pump returner. You were the kick returner. But also – you played multiple positions. When your team was punting to the uh, the opposing team's punt returner, you went down and covered those kicks. Mm-hmm.
4: See, you for, played
2: everything.
4: For me, Steve, I, I I I looked at myself as a football player. I felt I could do many things. But when I trained, I trained to get ready for a football season. I don't know what some of these guys train for today. Because I still believe that. You know, when you're getting ready to play a football season, you have to put your body through hell because you're going to go through hell during that season. And not being the biggest guy, and then they got the crazy guys coming down trying to tackle me on returns, you know, I have to be able to give you a little something too because I'm not going to just accept it all day. Hmm. So when I got to the league, I was 198 pounds. And my senior year in college, I power cleaned 385. I benched 435, and I squat 615. I didn't feel I had to be the biggest. But if I got lower than you, I can, I can get you off of your feet. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the league, I was the exact same way. And, and uh, Dan Riley, I was strength coach. He said, man, what the hell are you doing? And I remember I saw Barry Sanders had done some weights very similar. So I was trying to be Barry Sanders in college. I wanted to be as strong as he was, you know, never would have the moves that he had. But I felt that if I trained my body and tortured myself in the offseason, I had a chance to have fun during the season. And I see a lot of guys who, you know, they, they pussyfoot around during the offseason. They try to cut corners. Then they get into the season, they can't understand why they can't play. You know, I tell a lot of young people today, like I got dudes that I ride bikes with, they're like, man, I can't do this. I say, well, if you want to ride a 50-mile ride, how the hell are you going to know you can go to it if you keep riding only 20? Mm-hmm. So you need to go ride 50. Ride 55 so you can know you can do it. So the things I did in practice, like, Ernest Biner was my dude. Ernest Biner taught me, you know, how to go beyond. So when the games came around, it was easy. And I think a lot of guys, they never, ever push themselves to the limit. They never test themselves. They don't know if they can. They just think they can. Or the coaches expect them to do it, but they don't know. But I tried my damage to push myself to the, to the limits. And growing up with a military dad, I was pushed to the limits my whole life, so what the, what the difference what difference was it now that I was becoming a man myself?
2: I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather.
3: Good do it, good do it. Let's get down to it.
2: Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh,
3: yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But, yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) This whole thing? (laughs)
1: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your
2: podcasts. That's right. You, you wrote a children's book, A Champion Heart. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm assuming I know where it came from, just the way you're talking about your dad and, and your yeah. family values. But I want to, I I want to really know, even in depth. I understand the, really now getting this time to talk to you where it came from. But why did you believe it was needed, though?
4: Well, I think like little kids are look they look at athletes as much as they look at anybody to uh, get some type of spark or get some guidance. And uh, throughout my life, I was looking back to the York asking the question, how I had my upbringing impacted me in a sense and. So I just started thinking about it and I think about when I was a young kid and people always said that kid has heart when I was playing football. Uh, then later on my dad had a heart attack. My dad passed away of a heart attack. So that's the heart being a, uh, touched again. And then, you know, my mom and dad were givers like whatever my mom cooked. She cooked as if she was cooking for a damn football team. And her words were if somebody stops by the house, they may need a meal. I'm gonna make sure they have something to eat. Mm, that's and then they were, they, they, they were charitable. So I started thinking about my life and every time all those things came up and it's like, you know, having heart being a guy who was competitive. Um, My dad died of a heart attack and that, you know, made me want to start working with the heart found the heart association to make sure nobody else have to deal with those type of things. And I find that even if I'm not thinking about, it, I'm trying to do some charitable type things. So I wanted to just, uh, it was about a champion's heart and talking to kids about believing in yourself. And, uh, making sure you love your parents, you know, and pay attention to the things that they're trying to teach you because as a kid, we all think we know everything and our parents are basically just trying to tell us that we already been through what you're going to go through and if you learn a little bit, you won't make the same mistakes that we made and I just wanted to put something together about how my path went, you know, I was a guy who wasn't the biggest, um, didn't go to the biggest school. Wasn't told that I was going to play in the league. Like, you know, all the kids, all the dudes in my neighborhood, like, man, you will never play in the NFL. Well, I played 14 years. And then after my last year, they told me, see, you're not, they they let you go. Well, damn, I played 14 years. I get no credit for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it's just that I, I just, I feel that kids need to understand that you don't have to be the biggest. You don't have to be the baddest, but if you're going to be willing to put the work in. And, and take care of yourself and take care of your business, you can have the success that you want to have.
2: You know, I've watched you, obviously playing with the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, here in Charlotte because of um, the cable system. We don't really have it, but in Baltimore, I would see uh, the Redskins, um, the, 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 after the games and before the games. And so I noticed that about you, you're ton of energy mm-hmm. and, Seeing, watching the years with the Eagles and Washington and all that stuff and watching you with the different teams, I always wondered, was the TV, Brian Mitchell, just just as animated in person? And it hasn't, you you haven't let me down. Mm -mm. And so I just, it's just one of those cool things, you know, your belief system. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was founded, obviously, by your parents. But how did you keep that belief system always in that direction versus getting sidetracked, right? Because you know, you're from Louisiana, went to a small school. Now, you're in the nation's capital.
4: Yeah.
2: You're playing on the biggest stage. How did you stay focused on that such strong belief system without getting derailed?
4: Well, uh, first of all, i just say this. When I was young, my dad told me, live to be uh, respected and I liked. Mm. And that stuck with me. And then my brothers and sisters never let me get the big head or think I was like somebody special. So when I went home, it was always about, you know, after my dad passed away, after my first season, it was about what my dad said. And, and the thing about it, my pops has been gone since 1991. And some days I still think he's around, you know. <laughs> I'm being honest with you. But the whole thing of it is, I, I've always, like, my, my goals in life were to make my mama happy, make my daddy proud. And I stick with that. And I think by the things that they taught me, they've worked my whole life. So why would I change them just because I got to a different place? Mm-hmm. You know, when I first got up here to D.C., I was uh, exposed to different things. People were offering. But it wasn't what I was about. You know, I came here to play football. I didn't come here to be everybody's friend. I didn't come mm-hmm. here to try to be liked by the whole community. I came here to be respected when I was done. Because when I always tell people, you know, they say, well, man, how do you think people think about you? They say, it's not about how they think about you. Now it's when you're done what they're going to say about you. That you give everything you are supposed to give? And I think by being such a dude that was, you know, like people say, you were a mama's boy or a daddy's boy. Hell, I was both of them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make them proud. And when my, my dad passed away, my mom was still around. And I had told my dad, if anything ever happened to you, I'm going to be here for. And he said, I have no doubt. I know you will. You know, so mm-hmm. I stayed trying to be the guy that they always wanted me to be. And I, I wasn't perfect with it all the time. But I would say, if I was going to – if I failed, it wasn't going to be often and it wouldn't be the same thing again because I was going to always think about the fact that make mama happy, make daddy proud.
3: Mm. Wow. That's, that's so amazing. I know I can probably speak, speak for Smithy when I say I can only hope and pray that my kids view me the same way.
4: Mm-hmm. For oh, sure. Yeah. And see, he One day my daughter, she, I told her, I said, I don't want anybody to give me any gifts. Just take a piece of paper and a pen and write what I mean to you mm. and she told my oldest daughter was like look daddy said, if I can if I one day I have half of the work ethic that you have I'm gonna be a success mm. that said enough for me <laughs> you know because they they getting it they see what you're doing and I think for, for us as parents we just want to know that our kids understand what we're trying to do for them because my daddy told me you know and half the things I know in life are what my pops told me he said man make sure my grandkids lives are better than yours was And I'm trying to teach my kids the same thing. If they can make their kids' lives better than theirs were, that's the way you start Legacies.
3: Our last segment is called The Deep Three, and these are just three questions that we ask every athlete or celebrity, whomever that comes on our show, just to go and get a deeper understanding of them. So, Smitty, why don't you give them the first one?
2: What are your core values
4: as a person? As a person, I I feel for me is to honor those that came before me and took the time to teach me the things that I know today. And then for me to take those things and take them as far as I possibly can and to respect people the way I want to be respected. And I think uh, and and, and be thankful every day for what I was given by a higher person that's higher than all of us and God, you know, I was given talents. And I've always told people my thank you is to take those talents as far as I can. And uh, if I do those four things, I think I'm gonna touch just about everything I need to touch in life.
3: Mm. Wow. You're such an OG. When you, when you look back and you reflect, what's the most important life lesson you would share with the future generation?
4: Mm. You go, everybody's gonna make mistakes but you have to learn from your mistakes. You know, it's probably multiple things I can give, but, you know, I I think a lot of times that we we turn people off because people talk to us as if they were perfect, and I let people understand that you're gonna make a mistake in your life. You may make multiple mistakes, but don't make them twice. Don't keep making them over and over again. Learn from it and then move on, and then try to educate somebody else on it. Because I think when we are given something, whether it's a blessing or a tidbit, don't keep it to yourself. You start sharing it with people, and when you start sharing it, you have more of an impact on it.
2: I had my last question was was going to be about purpose in life and all that, and I, I, I wanted I, when you were talking, I was thinking about something. I was like, man, i will be scared if if Brian was my dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> kind of would be, just because of how you know, just how much a perfectionist I am and want to get right. So I kind of, I'm reversing it. Uh, And I don't even know why I'm kind of getting emotional before I'm asking you, but it's, if you can talk to your dad right now, what would you want to hear from him?
4: I just, I would want to hear from him. did, uh, Did I make you proud? You know, did I do the things you wanted me to do? And to be be honest with you, Steve, it's just some days I wake up and I just want to ask him, what should I do? You know, how should I handle certain situations? Cause he always seemed to have the answers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and hell, I like I said, I got three daughters at 18, 20, and 26. And hell, that's a challenge <laughs> when you're growing up with those daughters and stuff like that. And because my we had two two girls and then five boys afterwards. And I want to know when they started hitting certain ages, you know, how did he have to deal with it? Being such a masculine, strong dude, how did you deal with the femininity of your daughters? You know what I mean? Because sometimes I don't think I get it right, you know, and I I, I, I do everything <laughs> to make sure that they're happy and they, they know that I just want them to be safe. But I don't want to be overbearing. But then again, I don't want to not do enough. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if I can have that conversation with him, you know, And hell, I just wish he could have gone through this. My dad died after my rookie season, so I started accomplishing some major things after that. And he wasn't there, you know. I wish that he could have gone on that journey with me because I think it was meant for him to be there. And I think people always tell you they're looking down upon you, but I want him to be beside me, you know what I'm saying? He probably was,
2: but you know what I'm saying, yeah. I the reason I I guess the emotional is, uh my grandfather impacted my life that way. Like even mm-hmm. some of my family say, that I'm, I'm more like my, my grandfather than my dad. Mm-hmm. And so talking to you and hearing that there are times in my life, like being 41, there are times like I, I believe in God, I love God, but also there are times where I, I don't want the conversation internally with God. Sometimes I want Someone that I'm very like, someone that I got my values from is my grandpa. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want that hug. Yep. Sometimes I want that, that that particular touch that I know only he gave me that no one else can give. I love my wife. I love my boys. I love my, 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 my best friends. But I need my grandpa at times. Yeah. You no know, just listening see, to you. It just hit me. I don't know why I'm over here. Like, I'm over here tearing up, bro. And I don't even but know. But you know what, things <laughs> yeah.
4: That I tell people over and over again, you know, throughout our lives growing up, people always tell you something about, oh, man, you know, men don't cry. No, when you cry about something that makes that, that you really feel something that has been impactful to you, that is being a man. Yeah. A man, a man is not trying to hide your emotions, hide your feelings, run from things. No, it's, it's what you got to where you are because of what your grandfather gave you. Yeah. He instilled some stuff in you that if you didn't have it, you probably wouldn't be the person you are today. Absolutely. So that makes you emotional. And I have, look, dude, I'll be driving down the road sometimes and all of a sudden something will pop in my head and boom, here comes some damn tears. And <laughs> I used to say, damn, I'm getting soft when I'm getting old. You know what I'm <laughs> it, it makes you understand like, you know, as you go through life, what's important and what's not. It's not, it's not important for me to try to make somebody think I'm a certain type of way. It's important to be who I am and be the person that the people that took the time to try to make me become this person, that they understand that, you know what, he took heed to it and became something. So if I'm gonna cry because of things, and I don't cry because of things that are always sad, hell, some of the things that are happy make you you cry. You know, I got my fourth kid in college you know, <laughs> I'm happy as hell. I was crying. <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> like, I put some work into that. and so the, to see them finally getting there and doing the thing and I'm seeing them, everybody leads the other and teaches the other something. That's what I worked on. So that, that makes me happy. And sometimes that happiness comes in in, a, in the form of a damn cry.
2: For, for me, there are some players that is more than just – you know, knowing or getting their respect—it's—it—it it, it brings me back, and I think that's why it kind of triggered. Is it brings me back to being on one hundred and twenty-six in Avalon, and 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 sitting there watching football, and 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 knowing—you know—being on the West Coast, bro. I, you know, I wake up at nine o'clock, games are on, mm-hmm. and and seeing these players, you know. Bo Jackson, Tim Brown, but yeah. Brian Mitchell, those quote unquote little guys that had a big impact in the game, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and that's who you were. You were that guy that I kind of looked at as like, I hope I can do that. Oh, you, well, you
4: damn sure did.
2: Boy, I appreciate that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. damn sure did, man. And that's look, I, I. I appreciate you just telling me that because watching the way that you played is always that it made me happy, dude, because I I I love seeing guys who go out there and, you know, they're serious about their business, but they have fun doing their job. Yeah. You know? A lot like, of guys
2: you, don't have fun. You are those guys that I watch. You are those guys, y'all punish people. And so I, I grew up with the narrative based on what my grandma my grandpa taught me was those are the people you have to play like. If you want to make it, that's who you got to play like. Mm-hmm. And, and so even though I played in a different era, I played like the players that I watch. And those players that I watch, they were no nonsense. Yep. They, they as we say, they play for keeps. Mm-hmm. That's it. So thank you. Um, very blessed to be able to talk to you. Um, in my mind, one of the greats. Um, a legacy builder, um, a tone setter, and man, um, uh, we appreciate your time, dog. All
4: right, Steve, man, appreciate y'all too. Man.
3: So I know we were talking during this interview, Smitty, on most embarrassing TV moments, yes. and I just so happened to uh, to pull yours. I'm gonna play this clip real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll, we'll break this bad boy down. Oh goodness gracious!
2: Change some things up because they haven't been the greatest of franchise uh, since obviously Dan Rami- Dan Rami- uh, R- Dan R- I can't even speak right now. Marino, <laughs> that was terrible. Man, well, I'm
3: not laughing. I'm not this laughing at you. I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I'm
2: laughing with you. I wasn't laughing. <laughs> I was sweating. So bad. And I was at the house. Yeah. Where I was embarrassed. Yeah.
3: So we, I, I guess it's fair to say that's that's probably your most embarrassing TV oh. moment by far, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, Dan Marino. <laughs> of course, you know it now, but yeah.
3: in, in the moment with the lights on and yeah. being on national TV, Sometimes I mean, it just you got just got to.
2: Get, you. you get stuck like Chuck. <laughs> 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 hurt, hurt, on a struggle bus. Beep, beep. Rink, rink. <laughs> I, was, I was driver and in the front seat.
3: It was terrible. Goodness oh gracious. man! But hey, you bounce back. Man, you do Did a heck I? of a. I, <laughs> man, listen, you a heck. Jerry's still out. You, you a heck of an analyst. We got a chance to talk to Brian. Definitely, he gave us so many nuggets on you know his on his outlooks. Yep. His, what he's been able to do in the television industry, and we were blessed to be yeah. in some good company during that interview.
2: We were, and I, I got. I don't know why I got all emotional and got all. I got teary eyed. Man, I mean,
3: yeah. I, I I feel you. It was definitely uh, I share in the same sentiment. My my grandfather is by far the most impactful man I've ever met in my yeah. life, and some of the things he instilled in me being a man of character, being a man of integrity, like leading with that is something that you know I I I, I never waver on that, and and it's just I can I can hear him. He he passed away when I was thirteen, yeah. but I remember vividly conversations from when. I was five, six, seven. I mean, just the the impact. Him being a policeman. Him being a business owner. Like, there's just so many things he put in me that, man, I I I'd give my right arm to hear his voice again. I can oh, tell you right now.
2: What's crazy is, uh, all the stuff he put in me, I can care less about. I just, you know, just sometimes want that. You just want to hear, him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just is. It's crazy because. Talking to Brian, I don't know what it triggered, but I just, uh, you know, just hearing how impactful his dad was on him and what it was, you know, what's crazy is I lost my grandfather like two weeks, it was like a week and a half into November, and I got a call that he went to the hospital. And and my family's on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast, so I got a call Like, we were doing our bye week. I got a call on, like, Thursday. It was, like, Wednesday or Thursday. By Friday morning, he was gone. Mm -hmm. And he had, my grandfather had cancer of the liver. He got diagnosed. Um, He went to the VA because he was a veteran, And when he got diagnosed... He said, cool, and he walked out of the hospital, and he never went again. Hmm. He was on the steps and fell down the steps. He passed out because he had it had spread to his lungs and it fluid on his lungs. And when he went into the hospital, just like my grandpa, the G that he was, he said, how long am I going to be in here? Unfortunately, he passed like the next day. Like I miss him, you know. Mm. But a man gets cancer diagnosed, and he don't say a word. He just kept going. Till really, he could till he couldn't go anymore. So for me, man, it's like I hope I'm close. You know.
3: No, oh, man, you're definitely close. You you have arrived, and nah, but yeah, your words. You gotta, I, you gotta you gotta you gotta receive it. You gotta receive it. And so you trust me, he's looking down. He's yeah. proud. Both our grandfathers are proud. Yeah. And you gotta hold your head up and know that you are walking in everything
2: that he put in you. Yeah. Appreciate it. But it's still messing up, you know. Cut to it with Steve Smith Sr. That is me is a production of Cut To It, LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
3: From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media manager Peyton Smith, from Balto Creative Media Cut to it is produced by Brian Balteshevich And Meredith Carter With production assistance by Alex Labreck Production manager Sarah Pollack Theme music by Alex Johnson Lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton if you ain't heard about it Then we're about to let you know, you know it's on